In just a moment, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. And as we've been looking through the book of Romans, we could see a variety of things that the Apostle Paul wanted us to understand about the nature of the gospel. And when we look at this section that we're in right now, chapter 9, chapter 10, and we'll see this in chapter 11 as well, he has a high degree of focus on the concept of salvation. And the portion that we're looking at today from Romans 10, so we're looking at the second half of Romans 10, he talks about this idea of why we take the risk to share our faith. Why we take the risk to share our faith. So turn there with me, if you would, Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 14. And this is what it states. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the, of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to spend time together today reading it and meditating on it and learning from it. And we pray, Father, that as we look at this portion of Scripture, that you'd help us to understand what's being communicated here, that we would understand the reasons that we take the risk to share our faith and why that's your desire that we do so. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of your word now. We pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds to understand it and that you'd inspire us to apply it to our day-to-day -day lives. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this world, one of the things that seems to matter most to us are the opinions of those that we interact with. And now, people tell me all the time that they don't care what other people think about them. Do you ever hear somebody say that? I don't really care what other people think about me. Um, but I don't believe people when they tell me that. I don't really believe... I've heard people say that. And I've even tried to tell myself that from time to time. Oh, I don't care what, what people think. And then, if I'm really honest, it's like, no, you absolutely do care what other people think. There may be some people in this world that, that you don't value their opinion maybe quite as much as, as others, but there are people in your life that you absolutely value their opinion and you absolutely care what they think of you. I think we all care to one degree or another. And because we care, we often will alter our behavior in order to fall in line with the expectations of those that we're seeking approval from. But that can be a dangerous pattern to adopt. And it often shows up when it comes to verbally sharing our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever wanted to tell somebody uh, about the hope that they can have in Jesus, 
but you shied away from doing so because you feared the negative response that you might receive from them if you shared that information. Do you ever have an experience like that? You know, maybe you're worried that they'll think you're weird, or they'll think you're crazy, or they'll think you're fanatical, or something of that nature, and so as a result, you know, sometimes we've maybe shied away from actually sharing the message of the gospel that we're called to share. But still, someone needs to take the risk to let others know about the gift of salvation that's available to all who will trust in Jesus Christ. And when you think about how that message is destined to spread, when you think about how the Lord has ordained that message to spread, Scripture reveals to us that He's ordained that the message of the gospel be spread from the lips of those He's already redeemed from those who already understand the message of the gospel, from those who have already received Jesus as their Savior. And when you look at the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from Romans chapter 10, you have the Apostle Paul addressing this concern, and here he's encouraging us to be thoughtful, and he's encouraging us to be vocal about the gift of salvation that's available to all who will trust in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he communicates when you look at the opening verses of the section that we're in today is that someone needs to say something. Someone needs to say something. Let me reread verses 14 and 15. This is what he says there. He says, how, and notice like the pattern of rhetorical questions that he, that he asks here. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now let's pause there for just a moment. Um, a few years ago, one of my neighbors was having a dispute with someone else in my neighborhood. They were not getting along. There was a lot of conflict between them. Uh, basically, the, the short version of the story is one neighbor had done something that negatively impacted the property of the other neighbor, and to my knowledge, they still remain at odds, even though this was several years ago. And I get along with both men. Um, I make a point to chat with each of them, but I had to laugh a little bit when one of the men in the midst of this dispute tried to get me to do his dirty work for him. So the way it worked out was like this. In the midst of complaining about what one person in the neighborhood had done that had negatively impacted his property, this is what he said to me. He said, you need to say something to him. And I thought, I need to say something to him? I was like, why do I need to be the one that says something to him? You know, I'm not the one in, having a dispute with him. I, I get along perfectly fine with him, and, and you should get along perfectly fine with him. You're both adults. You could probably figure out a way to settle this. But his solution was, you need to say something to him. It's like, okay, anything else you want me to do? You want me to pay your bills? Need your lawn mowed? You know, anything you'd like me to tell your wife for you that you have not, you know, worked up the courage to be able to express to your spouse, Right. You need to say something to him. Now, I'm not sure that would have been the best way for that problem to be solved. You know, I don't think the solution was that I needed to say something to him. But when it comes to the message of the gospel being communicated, what's the Apostle Paul trying to tell us here in this portion of Scripture? He's trying to tell us that someone needs to say something. Someone needs to say something. 
So in the second half of Romans 10, you have the Apostle Paul. He continues to address mankind's need for salvation. That's the theme throughout these chapters that we're looking at here from Romans. But here he goes into detail about how the message of the gospel reaches the ears of those who need to hear it. Now, if you're familiar with the message of the gospel, and by the way, I don't know everyone in this room super well, although I know most of us, um, but if you're familiar with the message of the gospel, you're familiar with it because someone during the course of your life took the risk to communicate it to you in one way or another. Either they wrote it down, or they expressed it conversationally, or they taught it scholastically, or they preached it enthusiastically, but through one of those means, the message of the gospel was intentionally communicated to you, and it reached your ears, and somewhere along the way, as it was communicated, I'm certain of one thing. I'm certain that words were used. I'm certain that words were used. Now, why would I say that? Why would I say I'm certain that words were used? I mention that fact because there's a popular saying that I often hear in regard to communicating the gospel. It makes its rounds pretty regularly. I see it on social media. I see it in other places. I'm actually familiar with the church that has made this kind of their theme for the year. And the saying that's often used is preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Do you ever hear that saying? Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, there's a good sentiment behind it in the sense that they're saying, all right, make sure your life is also preaching the gospel and that it matches with your words. So I get that that's what people are usually meaning when they say it, but I don't use that phrase because it's not really an accurate phrase in light of what the Apostle Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 10. That phrase is saying, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And then when you look at what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write down in this passage, Apparently, the Holy Spirit seemed to think that words were necessary. So I think so should we. It is necessary to use words. It's necessary every single time. There's not really an exception to it. Now, our lifestyle can certainly back up the words that we use, but the words need to be used. Someone needs to say something. Now, consider the progression of rhetorical questions that, the, that you have the Apostle Paul referencing here in this passage. So he starts off by asking, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And what he's saying here is that no one's going to call on Jesus if they don't believe he can save them. And you can see he takes a step backward with each question. So he starts there, he says, no one's, effectively, no one's going to call on Jesus if they don't believe he can save them. And then he asks, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So he's reminding us here that no one's going to believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him. And then he goes on to say, or ask, he says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So here he's saying, someone needs to take the risk to say something. Now, it doesn't need to be a sermon, but something needs to be said. And then he takes it one further step back, and he asks the next logical question, and he says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? So he's saying if no one goes to where there's a need for the gospel to be heard, those who are ignorant and unaware of the gospel will not hear it and will not be saved. That's the progression of thought that the Apostle Paul is addressing in this portion of Scripture. Now, there is no greater message that we'll ever share 
and no deeper truth that we will ever communicate than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you know that message, if you know the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's God's calling on your life, not on somebody else's life, on your life specifically, and on my life specifically, to verbalize it. To verbalize that message. Very specifically, Scripture's encouraging us and challenging us and directing us to do that. There are people that the Lord will send you to, right? He'll send you to them and He'll send them to you who need to hear it. And it's interesting because you have the Apostle Paul doing something that he often does throughout the book of Romans and throughout other portions of Scripture that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. But what he does is he'll often quote something from the Old Testament to illustrate how this has always been the case. In fact, what he does here is he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, when he states this. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, when you're thinking about things that are beautiful, and when you're thinking about something that you would notice when somebody is communicating good news, I doubt that feet come to your mind. I think most people don't take care of their feet as well as they should. We were watching something um, last night on, on TV with the kids where somebody in, in the episode that we were watching uh, talked about that during their freshman year of college, they didn't bother to wear shower shoes, and so they ended that, that year of college with feet that really weren't in the best shape that they should be in. They're like, yeah, I basically spent a year not taking care of my feet. And I was like, ew. It was so gross, I decided to share it with you today. <laughs> um, but most people don't take care of their feet as well as they should, and some people would probably say that feet very well may be the grossest part of the human body. I guess that's up for debate, um, but it's probably on the list, right? And yet Scripture says what? It teaches us that even feet can be beautiful when they're used to transport a brave man or woman who's willing to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. That's the idea. Saying how beautiful, and there's irony in this statement, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, who preach the good news, who take the time to go from one place to another to make sure that the people that are in the other place have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Saying even the feet, and in that culture, as this is being spoken, you know, you think people in our culture don't take care of, you know, their, their, their lowest appendage, right? As well as they should. Well, in that culture, your feet took a beating. And it was usually reserved for the lowest person, the person of the lowest station, when you walked into a home, person of the lowest station took the time to wash the feet as you came in because they didn't want you tracking your gross feet all throughout the house, and so they'd wash your feet, and they'd do this as a customary thing to welcome you into the home, but also to provide some level of sanitation. And, uh, and here you have the Apostle Paul quoting from Isaiah 52 saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So he starts this section off by, by teaching us that someone needs to say something. Someone needs to say something. Look at how he segues into the next couple verses. He starts to explain the process that's going on here. And he tells us that we hear before we believe. So think about this from a personal standpoint, even before I reread these verses. Before you believed in Jesus Christ, before you understood the message of the gospel, what happened first? You heard it. 
you hear it, then you believe. And that's what he's talking about here in verses 16 and 17. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And then in verse 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I wonder at this point how many people historically have heard the message of the gospel. I think recently I saw a statistic that said there are something around uh, something around 7 billion people on this earth right now. Keep in mind, by the way, just a few years ago it was 6 billion, and just a few years ago before that it was 5 billion. Do you know how many people were on earth during the time of Christ's earthly ministry? About 250 million on earth during that time. So think about how population has grown over the course of the past uh, 2,000 years. And if I'm not mistaken, you can loosely quote me on this, I think the first time earth's population hit uh, 1 billion was right around 1900. So consider that from 1900 till now, we've gone from 1 billion to 7 billion. And by the way, I rejoice over that because Scripture tells us that the Lord told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. That, all that stuff about overpopulation, that's garbage. Never, ever believe that. Never believe that. It's not true. Biblically, it's not true. I actually heard a statistic that said everyone in the world right now could have property that's a reasonable size and all live just in the state of Texas. And we still wouldn't fill it up. So when you hear stuff about overpopulation, just take a, a flight in a Cessna. You know, it's true that some people have tried to condense into very small places. A lot of people in small places that aren't really set up for that. So yeah, you would say maybe a locale, a certain area might be overpopulated. But the Lord told us, spread out. He said, spread out. Fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Right? And here, you know, Scripture's telling us that there are people that need to hear before they believe. So I wonder... How many people have historically heard the message of the gospel? You know, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, how many people have heard? I'm sure it's a large number. Now, in our era, we're blessed because we can spread messages very, very quickly. You know, just as quickly as a message is preached on Sunday morning, many people are streaming their messages throughout the world. We take our messages, we put them up online sometime during the early part of the week, and people throughout the world listen to the message that's proclaimed from this church here in Pennsylvania. And throughout the world, people have the opportunity to hear it. And I know that um, among my family and among my friends, most, if not all, have heard the message of the gospel from my lips or they have read it through something that I've written down. But as of yet, not everyone I know has come to faith in Christ. And I'm sure you could testify that the same is true for you. Not everyone you know has yet come to faith in Christ. But for a person to come to faith in Christ, this Scripture makes it clear that they need to hear the Gospel first. And Scripture teaches us that faith comes from hearing. The Word of Christ needs to be made known. So what we do is we speak of Christ's divine nature. We speak of His sinless life. We speak of His atoning death on the cross. We speak of His resurrection from the grave. We speak of His imminent return and we do so in the hope that the Lord will make use of us, even though none of us are perfect messengers. I am not a perfect messenger. You are not a perfect messenger. Yet the Lord delights 
to use the obedience of imperfect messengers to make the perfect message of his gospel known, and it's the means through which he's ordained that that message be spread throughout the course of this world to the billions of people who live on the face of this earth. So let's be zealous to make that message known. But also, let's have a zeal that's balanced by knowledge. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, we were talking a little bit about this last time when we were looking in Romans. But basically, unfortunately, there are those who have zealously shared the message of the gospel with others, but have done so in unloving, smug, um, needlessly argumentative ways, even though the Word of God counsels us to be gentle and respectful when we speak to others. Consider what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. There it says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Make the message of the gospel known. Tell people about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ with gentleness and respect. The truth is, the message of the gospel is offensive to many people when they're first hearing it. But we don't need to be personally offensive. The message of the gospel will offend plenty. I'm convinced that it offends before it heals. So we're offended first, it gets our attention, then we realize, wait, that's true, as the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes and opens up our heart to actually hear and understand what's being proclaimed to us. But we don't need to be personally offensive. We should share the gospel with gentleness and respect as the Scripture encourages us to do so. Recently, a friend of mine was in the Dominican Republic. And uh, while he was there, he met somebody, and he was describing this guy to me. And if I had to summarize my opinion of the man that he was describing, I would say that the man that he met... Um, really has an evangelistic gift. Have you ever met somebody like that? Some of you, you would say they're truly gifted by the Lord with a gift of, of evangelism. You know, they, they just so, it just seems like they so naturally, or maybe it would be better say, you know, so supernaturally, share the message of the gospel with such an even temper and flow, and people seem to listen to what they say and value what they say. And this man absolutely seems to have an evangelistic gift. And the way this gift is being used is this man apparently has been given the opportunity to minister to many prisoners, including those who are presently waiting execution. And he's welcomed into the prison system, and he joyfully speaks up because the Lord has given him an open door to proclaim the gospel in that particular context. And so he makes the message of the gospel known, and he's been faithful to do it. And so I look at that guy and, and, you know, hearing a variety of other details that my friend shared with me about him, I, I, again, I thought, yeah, that man seems to be gifted evangelistically. Um, but let me say this, you don't need to be a gifted evangelist to share about Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a gifted evangelist to share about the hope that you've been given through Jesus Christ. In fact, you might be an introvert and still share about Jesus. You might be extremely timid and still share about Jesus. Let, let me give you a couple examples of how I'm seeing this done among my circle of personal friends. These are all people that I know personally, and I think that this is interesting. This week as I was making this list of ways that I see people actively and intentionally sharing the message of the gospel, sharing the words of the gospel, verbalizing it and sharing it. Uh, one of my friends 
shares his faith by praying with those who hire him to make repairs on their home. So they hire him to make repairs on their home, and he offers to pray with them, and he shares his faith that way. I know someone else who takes the time to share a brief scripture on Instagram most days of the week, sharing their faith that way. I know of a shy person who doesn't feel like they're super conversational, but they love writing out cards. And almost every day of the week, she sends personal cards to different people with scripture or with a word of wisdom or with a note that I'm praying for you or a quote from one of the gospels or something of that nature, and she'll mail it off. I know of a person who uploads brief recordings of his teaching on biblical scriptures to YouTube most weeks. I know of a family that intentionally invites those who don't believe Christ that they have the privilege to live near, they invite them over to have dinner in their home so that they could have conversation with them. I know of another family that hosts a weekly study of Scripture in their living room, and they open it up to anyone who wants to come. I know of someone else who drives those without transportation to worship services and Bible studies. And again, most of these people would not consider themselves gifted evangelists, But I think, as I observe their actions, that their actions are showing that they believe and that they know that people need to hear the gospel before they're going to believe. So they're trying to be very intentional about helping people to hear the gospel. Oh, and by the way, every example that I just gave, those are all examples of people that are part of our church family. You're sitting around the people that I just described. And if you heard that and said, oh, I do that, yeah, I was talking about you. I just didn't use your name, so I didn't embarrass you. But I notice. And I think it's great. And it's the exact thing that this Scripture is talking about here. Now, there's something else that's brought up in this portion of Scripture that I think is worth pointing out, and that's this. Others may become jealous of the ways that God blesses you, and that's not always a bad thing. Now, why would Paul bring up a concept like this in the midst of talking about sharing your faith? Look at what he tells us in verses 18 to 21. He says this, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, in this section of the book of Romans, uh, it becomes very obvious just how much the Apostle Paul wanted his Jewish brothers and Jewish sisters to experience the joys of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You could see his heart as he's communicating these things uh, in these various verses and quoting portions of the Old Testament to drive the point home. This was something that burdened Paul's heart. And it's certainly something that he prayed about quite often. But he also knew that for a season there were going to be many who rejected the message of the gospel. And that was painful for him to contemplate. It was a painful thing for him to think about. And I'm sure that we can understand that agony too 
when we think about people in our lives that we've been praying for and people that we've been trying to share the message of the gospel with who as of yet have not responded. I'm certain that there are those of you that have been praying for parents, and some of you have been praying for children, and some of you have been praying for siblings, and some of you have been praying for close personal friends and people that you work with. We agonize over those people in prayer, and that's the kind of emotion that we can see behind what Paul's communicating here as he's communicating a deep, heartfelt desire that those of his same heritage would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now consider how God was choosing to address this issue. So it's clear from Scripture, when you look throughout all the Scriptures, it's very clear that the Lord loves the Jewish people. Is that not clear? It's extremely clear. I've been just finished rereading the book of Genesis And throughout the book of Genesis, you could see how the Lord was blessing and calling the Jewish people and all the plans that He has for the Jewish people and that He loves the Jewish people. When you read through the Old Testament, you could see the great lengths that He went to to reach them. Great lengths that He went to to bless them. When we read through the New Testament, we could see that God the Father sent His Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be born a Jew. And the vast majority of Christ's earthly followers in the early stages were Jewish. But as a whole, at least for now, the Jews have rejected Jesus. Now, some may say, you know, Christ was a nice guy, but there's a big difference between saying he was a nice guy and calling him your Lord and Savior. I actually had the opportunity some years ago, um, uh, someone that I know that uh, has a Jewish background, uh, I was talking to him at a dinner after his father's funeral. We were sitting down at his, you know, at the dinner after his. I had just done the the funeral for his father, and um, you know, I was asked to do that by the family, so I was happy to do that. And I was talking to the son, the son being a practicing Jew, and he said to me that he was actually at the point where he was willing to accept that Jesus was a prophet. But he said the thing I could never really get past. He said, I just can't accept that he was God come in the flesh. He said, I'm willing to accept that he was a prophet. He said, but I'm just, I just can't believe that he was God come in the flesh. So there's this roadblock in his thinking where he seemed to have some admiration for Jesus, but just couldn't come to the spot where he believed that Jesus was divine. Now, does the fact that the Jewish people are presently rejecting Jesus, does that alter the nature of God's love for them? Or does it prevent God from fulfilling His preordained plan for them? No, right? It doesn't doesn't alter His love for them, and it doesn't uh, detract from God's desire to fulfill His preordained plan for them. And in fact, when you look at the Scripture we just read, it tells us that God is actively trying to make them jealous of what He's doing in the lives of those who do trust in Christ. He's actively trying to make them jealous. So, you know, God has been blessing people in every nation of this world who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And again, one of His purposes in doing so is to make the Jewish people jealous so that they too will call on Christ. Again, in verse 19 it said, But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So what's God trying to do? He's trying to rouse within them a curiosity about what He's doing. He wants them to want 
His divine blessings too. He wants them to desire the gift of salvation that's provided through Jesus Christ. He's trying to arouse a sense of jealousy within them. Now, jealousy doesn't always strike us as a positive concept. Uh, I remember at one point coming across Scripture that refers to God, or God speaking of Himself as a jealous God. And I was like, wait, what do you mean, what do you mean you're a jealous God? You know, when I, when I think of jealousy, I, I think of it mainly in a negative context. But when the Lord's describing Himself as a jealous God, He's saying, I'm possessive of what's mine. Meaning, I'm not going to share what belongs to me with the devil. And so when the Lord tells us that He's jealous over those that, he's, that are His, he's, say, he's speaking like a parent who's looking at their children and saying, yeah, I'm jealous for you in the sense that I'm going to be a little bit possessive of you or a lot possessive of you with a protective element to it. I'm looking after you. I care for you. And I don't want to see something come into your life that doesn't belong there because you're mine. Because I love you. So jealousy doesn't always strike us as a positive concept, but there is a positive way that it's used a few times in Scripture. And in this portion of Scripture, we can see from this passage in particular that the Lord is making use of it as a tool to foster a desire within a large group of people to want His blessings, to want to experience His divine presence, to want to experience salvation through Jesus Christ. And he's arousing that through blessing those who have already trusted in Christ. Now, throughout the course of my life, as I have taken the risk to make the gospel known in my circles of family and friendship and acquaintances, and even among people I didn't know at all, um, I've experienced great highs and I've experienced painful lows. And I'm sure that we could probably exchange some stories about our experience in sharing the gospel with others. I've had the privilege to pray with adults who have trusted in Christ. I've had the privilege to pray with teenagers. I've had the privilege to pray, to pray with children. Um, but I've also been mocked at. I've also been yelled at. I've also been ignored. And I've also been discouraged by others. So you never know what kind of response you're going to get, right? You might be rejoiced over as you do so. Or you might be mocked and yelled at. You don't know. But I always think to myself, all right, well, while I cannot control what someone else does with the message of the gospel once they've heard it, what I can do is remain faithful to make it known with love, gentleness, and respect. That's what I want to do. I want to be intentional to make it known. And I want to do so with love, gentleness, and respect. Some will hear it and believe in Jesus, and some will reject it and remain condemned. But it's still worth taking the risk to share, because some people need to hear it more than once. And maybe they'll hear it from you, and then they'll think about it for a while. And then they'll hear it from you again, and then they'll observe your life. And they'll notice you really believe this. And then they'll hear it again from someone else. I have prayed for different members of my family. remember at one point praying for my father. Um, he didn't become a believer in Christ until I was a senior in college. And I remember praying for him. And I remember at one point praying. I was in the dorm in college, and I was just laying sideways on my bed at night praying for my family. And the Lord gave me an idea that I believe was of him to pray in a specific way for my dad. I think I've probably shared this before. But I started to realize it's going to be kind of challenging for 
the person that had to discipline you and see you through some of your lowest moments in life to all of a sudden understand that you're sharing something that's true and something that's not ridiculous. You know, I think it's kind of hard for a parent to listen to their child uh, in certain contexts. I think that eventually that changes, but definitely at that season of my life, I know it was hard for my dad to listen to me. So I thought, okay, well, you know what? I've been faithful to share the message, but I think my dad needs another witness in his life. And I remember praying that the Lord would just send someone into my dad's life that he would listen to. Seeds had been planted, conversations had been had, and then my dad met somebody, actually a retired pastor, he met him at an airport, and they were talking. This guy, my dad used to fly a plane as a hobby, and uh, this guy was filling up his plane as my dad landed it, and he's filling it up. It takes a long time to fill up those tanks on a Cessna, and... uh, and the guy was like, oh, so you got some kids? And they had a lot of time to shoot the breeze. And my dad said, yeah, I've got a few kids. He's like, oh, what are your, what are your kids doing? And he said, well, you know, my, my oldest son, he's preparing for ministry. And my one daughter's doing this. And my other daughter's doing this. And, and so the man said to my dad, he goes, oh, so you're a believer too. And my dad said, no, but my, convi- my kids have me convinced I should be. And then the man and my dad continued to talk. And before the end of that evening was over, they were in the airport hangar there where, they, where he put his plane, praying, and my dad received Christ and called me the next day, and he said, I just want you to know that I'm your dad, but I'm your brother now too. That was his quote to me in August of 1997. I'm your dad, but I'm your brother too. And so you look at that, and you don't know. You don't know how someone's going to respond. And you shouldn't be overly discouraged if they don't immediately jump. Right? If they don't immediately hear, when you consider how many decades of spiritual blindness they're dealing with, you can't open someone's heart, but you can be a voice. And the Holy Spirit can open eyes and open hearts in God's perfect timing. And He's called you to be His ambassador. And He's made you His representative, and you can share the message of the Gospel honestly, lovingly, gently, and respectfully, and trust Him to do the work that He'll do. But again, sometimes that's received well, other times it's not received well. I don't know if you had the opportunity to watch the news last spring, but I was on the news last spring related to an opportunity where I shared the gospel down in West Conchahawken. I was speaking that night, it was the first warm night we had, so we had the doors open, we had the windows open, and we're all there, and it was my turn to speak that night, and so I was preaching specifically about the love of Jesus Christ, the unearned, unmerited love of Jesus Christ. And someone pulled up in front of the building, double doors just like this, and he just sat there in his car listening to the message. And at the end of the message, he started screaming into the building all sorts of negative things, all sorts of things that sounded kind of creepy and threatening. And then he sped off in his car And before he sped off in his car, he made certain that we understood that that message was an offense to his Muslim faith. And then he went to another church a few days later and made a big ruckus. And then Homeland Security got involved in all of this. It was kind of interesting. And uh, I thought, you know what? But at least that man had the chance to hear the gospel. Now, he kind of freaked everybody out in his response. But you just don't know what the response is going to be. You don't know. Some will accept, some will reject, but we still need to be faithful to speak. Because someone took the risk during the course of your life to share the good news of Christ's salvation with you. 
Someone took that risk. It was either your grandparents or your parents or a Sunday school teacher or a friend or a pastor or someone in your sphere of contacts or someone wrote something down that you read. And either way, I'm certain they used words. And it reached your ears and it reached your heart and you came to faith in Jesus Christ because someone took that risk. And so as we finish up today, I just want to ask this question to end us and I'll show us a a few quick verses. But the question I want to ask is this, will you joyfully accept the fact that one of God's major purposes for your life specifically is that you share the message of the gospel with someone else so that they too would come to know Jesus Christ by faith? Will you accept that as part of His mission for your life? Because that's what Scripture is telling us, isn't it? Scripture also tells us this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. In Acts 4, 12, we're told, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And again, in Romans 10, 14 and 15, which we read a few minutes ago, it says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at Your Word today and meditate on the things that You have communicated to us in it. Lord, we're so grateful for Your goodness and we're so grateful for Your love. We're so grateful that You have ordained that the message of the Gospel would reach our ears and by Your grace would also reach our hearts. Lord, we pray that our faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ, would be the most obvious aspect of our lives, that people would see that we're not just casual attenders of worship services or or people that just kind of go through emotion or just people that have some sort of moral code that we're trying to follow, that things go far beyond that, that we truly believe that salvation is found in no one else other than Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we know that You've ordained that the message of the Gospel that the message of the necessity of trusting in Christ to have our sins forgiven and to experience life everlasting and to be blessed with abundant life even here and now, that this message, You have ordained that it come forth from our lips to the ears of others. There are people in our lives that need to hear this. There are people in our lives that You have intentionally placed there so that they would be in close proximity with us. And they will never hear unless we take the risk Someone has to say something. And maybe they'll respond the seventh time they hear. And maybe the six times prior to that, they will ridicule or mock or ostracize or treat us disparagingly. But Father, we pray that we would not idolize the opinions of man. We pray that we wouldn't live our lives with the fear of man, but rather we pray that we would live our lives with a desire to honor and glorify You and that we would be faithful ambassadors of Your truth. 
And Lord, we don't need to be pugnacious. We don't need to be argumentative as we share the message of the gospel. In fact, you tell us in 1 Peter 3 that that's not the way that you prescribe that we do this. You tell us to be gentle. You tell us to show respect. The whole demeanor that you communicated to us during the course of your earthly ministry as you were walking with unbelievers, as you were helping people to understand what they didn't understand, you showed us that you were loving. You showed us that you were concerned. You showed us that you were compassionate. And so, Father, we pray that that would just ooze from our lives as you live within us, as you have indwelled us. But, Father, we pray that we would make the most of every opportunity that you've given us. Even if we're a little afraid, we pray that we do it anyway. Maybe we pray with somebody that we're working for. Or maybe we send somebody a card. Or maybe we share something on social media. Maybe we post something online. Maybe we drive someone to a worship service. Maybe we host a Bible study in our home. Lord, we're here for 15 minutes and then we're in your presence forever. And during this brief, brief few minutes that you give us on this earth, we pray that we would be faithful ambassadors of yours. We genuinely appreciate the fact that you have reached into our lives and saved us from eternal condemnation and an existence of being separated from you for all time. We truly appreciate that. We pray, Father, that we would be courageous, not with, not with a courage that we well up, but with a courage that you can foster within us, that we would courageously share the message of hope that you placed within our hearts to those that we love, to our family, to our friends, and even to sometimes people we don't even know. So we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to walk with you, to know you, and to love you. And we pray that others would experience this hope as well. Thank you, Lord, for reaching into our lives. And we pray that you would embolden us and make us brave to be your ambassadors on this earth. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.